great and your heart is kind. You're the source of every blessing. You're the fount of living water. And you carry us. You carry us. And we can't go anymore. first loved us. I pray that we would continue to worship you as we study your word. Open our eyes and our ears to see the text fresh and anew. It's not just a letter that you wrote through Paul to the church at Rome, but written to us today, alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. May it cut us today, pierce our hearts, not just to give us head knowledge, but to change us, to make us more like Christ. That is who we look to. Pray that we would focus and fix our eyes on him. Be with us this morning as we study your word. We do it all for you. This is all for you. We pray it in the precious name of your beloved son, Jesus, in his name. Good morning, everybody. You have your Bible this morning? Good. Romans chapter 2 is where you need to go. We are continuing on in our study of Romans. Uh, man, it's, it's been so rich so far. Learned so many things, and we have so far to go. God has treasures in store for us today and next week and on and on as we study his word. He always meets with us, always gives us what we need, and we are thankful for that. Last week in Romans chapter 2, we continued to look at Paul's argument that the whole world stands condemned apart from Christ. That we are all sinners. That we all deserve the wrath of God in judgment against our sin. That we all need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And we have sung about him this morning, about how he saves. His blood is enough. Christ on the tree is enough. For my sin, it gets me every time, for my sin, all of my sin, Christ on the cross is enough. It's good news. That's good news. Everybody needs a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And this applies to all kinds of people. It applies to godless Gentiles. It applies to Jews who have the law and circumcision. It applies to axe murderers and crossing guards. It applies to church people, lost people, Sunday school teachers, deacons. All of us, apart from Christ, deserve God's judgment and wrath. All of us, all of us need a Savior, and the only Savior is Jesus. Last week in particular, Paul was addressing the Jews as he reminded them about all of these legitimate privileges that they enjoy as the people of God. He wanted them to be reminded of these nine things that they enjoy because of who they are. And then, after listing those nine privileges, he lowered the boom, showed them that they had not responded to those privileges as they should, they had not responded with repentance. They had not responded with faith. They began to trust in themselves and their own righteousness. They began to see their position as an excuse to do whatever they wanted. They began to see their identity as Abraham's descendants, as a free pass from the judgment of God to live however they wanted and escape the judgment. We talked about how there's a clear parallel with church life today, folks who attend church regularly. In 
indeed enjoy a great many privileges. We are near to the word of God. We hear the word of God. We have access to the gospel. We, we have leaders who teach and, and we worship together with song and all of these things. We enjoy all of these privileges. And yet so many people see mere identification with the people of God as a ticket uh, past judgment. And they haven't responded to those privileges as they should with repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather see mere nearness Mere nearness to the truth of God as something that can save. A response of faith is absolutely necessary. The privileges are real, no doubt, but a response of faith is absolutely necessary. We've talked about how the Jews, in many ways, were teachers of the truth, but they weren't obeying it. Are we teachers of the truth and yet refuse to obey it? Are we responding with repentance and faith to the things that we hear? Or are we hypocrites? Hypocrites who are a stumbling block for the lost world? Hypocrites who, even beyond that, cause the lost world to blaspheme the name of our God. The way that we live, the things that we say on the one hand and the way that we live on the other, are we hypocrites who not only are a stumbling block for the gospel, but cause our lost neighbors and friends to blaspheme the name of our God? We bring him into this and cause his name to be blasphemed. We need to be careful with the way we live. We need to be honest about the way we live. We need to be consistent in our life. Last week, the law was the central figure. It was the central issue with the Jews this week. The second defining characteristic of what it means to be a Jew will be the central figure, that is circumcision. We're going to talk about circumcision today. Jason has a tough job here, picking out music to go along with the text. There aren't a lot of songs about circumcision. <laughs> Flip through the hymnal, there's not like a heading circumcision songs <laughs> so we sing the gospel when we don't know what else to do which is a lot of times when we don't know what else to do we sing the gospel right and that's what we've done today we're going to talk about circumcision though just like last week there's a good parallel for the modern church today you see we can fall into the same problems with baptism today as the jews did in paul's day with circumcision we can tend to put all of our hope in this external sign of the covenant instead of having the actual covenant. We can put all of our hope in the physical external reality instead of in the invisible internal rea reality that actually saves us. And it's a real danger, especially in a Baptist church, because we're going to make sure that every member of this church has been baptized. And we're going to do it very publicly when we do it. We don't go off into a corner. We don't have a secret service where just a few people are in, invited. We're going to do it way up front and center. We want as many people as possible to see baptism. And it can be really easy to hold on to baptism as the source of our salvation instead of Jesus Christ as the source of our salvation. So I want you to know that, that as we read this text today and we talk about the Jews putting their hope in circumcision, you cannot sit there and shake your head and wag your finger at first century Jews you need to see yourself in this and see ourselves as prone to the same danger that they fell into when it comes to the waters of baptism. So look at the text today, Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 25. As Jason said a minute ago, this is not, not just Paul's word to the church at Rome. This is God's word to the church at Rome. This is God's word to us today. May we hear it like that. Romans chapter 2, verse 25 says, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. 
So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will not he judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Verse 28 and 29 is the key to the whole text. It says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Let's pray together. God, help us. Help us today to make this transition. Help us to understand Help us to understand this text as it applied to the church at Rome in the first century. And help us to apply the same meaning, the same understanding of this text to our lives today. 2014, church Harrisburg. Help us to apply your word to our lives today. We need your help with all of this understanding interpretation with application we need your help in it all we don't want to we don't want to do this on our own we don't want to use our abilities intellectually or scholarly we don't want to we don't want to depend on our brains or even our hearts today we want to hear from you we want you to speak with power and authority and revelation we want you to speak to us today and we want to respond rightly to what you say today for your glory. So we ask this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we get into the specific text today, I want to talk a little bit about what circumcision is. Uh, It is this physical operation. Um, I don't don't think I need to go into the gory details of of exactly how this takes place. Um, Probably rather you have a better biblical understanding of circumcision than a medical understanding of circumcision. Um, really doesn't matter about the medical side of circumcision today. What matters is a biblical understanding of circumcision. And so circumcision is the outward sign of the covenant relationship with God. It's the outward sign of the covenant relationship with God in the Old Testament, Old Covenant relationship with God. And what you need to understand about that covenant relationship with God is that it was a covenant of grace even then. You're going to see this as we develop our, our study in Romans that Abraham Abraham received circumcision before he received the law. Before the law ever existed, he received this covenant of circumcision. He was welcomed as God's chosen man. His family was welcomed as God's chosen family, and they were given the sign of circumcision as evidence of that. It wasn't as if you get circumcised and therefore become part of God's family. Rather, it was just the opposite of that, that you were part of God's family and therefore received circumcision as a sign of that. Does this make sense to you? We, we got to get that right. We got to get that in the right order because the Jews in Paul's day had flipped it on its head. They had flipped it on its head. Instead of saying, because I am part of God's family by grace, I receive circumcision, they would say, because I have received circumcision. I am part of God's family. 
and it became kind of the fundamental foundational work of their identity. And we've got to be careful not to build our identity on work, right? Our identity has to be built on grace. We have to stand on grace and not work and see work only as evidence of the grace that God has shown to us in our lives. So we have to get this right right off the bat. We have to understand uh, that the Jews in Paul's day had turned it backwards. And Paul will address circumcision in these verses not as it was originally intended, as a sign of the covenant grace, but as an abuse and a foundation of works-based salvation, which gives us no hope. A works-based salvation gives us no hope, right? And that's what he's going to show in this text. Look at the way he develops the logic. He says, for indeed circumcision is of value if you keep the law. Circumcision is of great value if you keep the law. How many of you would say, yeah, I keep the law? Good. No one, no, I'm proud of you. You're catching on. Looks across the whole room. No one raised their hand because no one keeps the law, right? To better understand what Paul means in this verse, we should go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 3. Just mark that down and I will read it to you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 3 says this. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. He says, I'm saying to you, if you receive circumcision and you put your hope in circumcision and you find your salvation through circumcision, then you are under obligation to keep the whole law. And that destroys every man, does it not? Because every man is a transgressor of the law. That's what we're seeing in the first three chapters of Romans, that no one keeps the law. And that salvation, justification, cannot be found in keeping the law. By works of the law, no man will be justified. But some people are adopting this sign. And Paul is saying here that if you put your hope in circumcision, it is of value if you practice the whole law. If you keep the whole law, then your circumcision is worth something. And look what he says next. But... If you're a transgressor of the law, how many of you are transgressors of the law? All of us, good. Some of, some of you are with me, yes. If you're a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So circumcision is of value if you keep the whole law. But if you transgress even a part of the law, even one bit of the law that you are obligated to by receiving circumcision as your hope, then you might as well have not gotten circumcised in the first place. Because it means absolutely nothing, Paul is saying. One scholar said it this way, circumcision was not a magical ceremony or a charm. It did not provide them with permanent insurance against the wrath of God. It was no substitute for obedience. Rather, it constituted a commitment to obedience. Paul here, we've got to remember... confidence in these external things he's trying to show that even they need a savior that even they need something beyond the law they need something beyond circumcision they need grace so paul says circumcision is a value if you practice the law but if you're a transgressor of the law as everyone is your circumcision has become uncircumcision look at verse 26 Verse 26, he says, so if the uncircumcised man, who's that? It's the Gentile, right? It's everyone who's not a Jew in Paul's day. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? You know what he's trying to teach there? He's trying to teach there that the inward is more important than the outward. 
He's saying, listen, if, you, if you've got a guy who is physically uncircumcised, but he keeps the law, that's better than the circumcised guy that doesn't keep the law. In fact, maybe we could put it on a modern parallel. Which would you rather have, an unbaptized believer or a baptized unbeliever? Who, who's safe in that situation? The believer, because it is faith. It is by grace you are saved through faith, right? Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast, right? So the unbaptized believer is better off than the baptized unbeliever. In fact, there are a lot of people who are baptized unbelievers. Maybe even in this room today. People who've been through the external rite of baptism but don't trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. They trust their baptism for salvation, just like many Jews in Paul's day trusted their circumcision for their salvation rather than a covenant relationship with God. The inward is more significant than the outward. Paul teaches us in verse 26. In verse 27, he develops the thought a little more. It says, and he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law which is hypothetical, by the way, because no one really keeps the law. He says, if he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? This would have been absolutely shocking for a Jewish person in Paul's day to hear. For Paul to say, you who have the letter of the law and circumcision but transgress the law are going to be judged by the uncircumcised man who does keep the law. They would have said, are you kidding me? That's outrageous. It's outrageous that an uncircumcised man would sit over us in judgment. One scholar explained it this way. He said, the meaning is not that the Gentile will assume the role of judge, but rather that he will be a witness for the prosecution in the sense that his obedience will be evidence of what the Jew ought to have been and could have been. In other words, this guy who doesn't have the law, we've seen Paul talk about this, this guy, this Gentile man who doesn't have the letter of the law, instinctively does the things of the law. And the Jew, who Paul is addressing here in this text, who has the law, is transgressing the law, who's better off? The man who doesn't have the law, but yet instinctively does the law, is better than the one who openly, high-handedly rebels against the law. Remember, part of what Paul is trying to do in this text is to erode the Jewish confidence in his heritage, his lineage, and on and on and on. He's trying to show that the Jew is in need, even the Jew is in need of a Savior and in danger of the wrath of God. Look at verse 28. This brings it all together. Verse 28 and 29 are the key to the whole text. If you don't understand any of the rest of this, you will certainly understand this. He says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is, from, is not from men, but from God. It's not about the outside. It's about the inside. It's what he's teaching us. It's not about, it's not about who your parents are, or what your body looks like, or if you've ever been through that tub. It's not about if you're a member of this church or you give some money or you hold some office in this church. It's not about the outside. Salvation is not about the outside. It's about the inside. It's about the inside. That you can have all of the outward trappings of spiritual life and still be as dead as dead can be on the inside. And Jesus talks about people like that in the Gospels. He says, oh, you look like whitewashed tombs, very pretty, I'm 
clean on the outside. Open it up, and it's dead. And I fear that there are many here and in churches all over the place who have all of the external identification with the people of God and no personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The internal, invisible, is way more important than the external and the visible. There is a tendency in all of us to depend on outward signs. We all gravitate toward those outward signs. And I see that evidence every year at Vacation Bible School. At Vacation Bible School, every year we will have multiple kids come up to us and say, Brad, Chris, Joe, whoever, I want to get baptized. And my first question is always, why? And I'll tell you this, nine times out of ten, the kid says, I don't know. We don't want to baptize that guy, right? It would be wrong of us to say, okay, you want to get baptized, we'll baptize you. And, and somehow teach them that their confidence is in this, in this act of baptism. Why do you want to get baptized? Because the child says, because I believe in Jesus. He's changed my heart. He's given me new life. He's forgiven me of my sins. He died on the cross for me. Why do I want to get baptized? Because Jesus said to get baptized, and I want to follow him, and I want the world to know that Jesus has saved me. You know what we say to that kid? Put your trunks on. <laughs> Fill her up. We're going to baptize that guy because he understands that, the, that baptism is merely the external the external visible symbol of an internal invisible reality. And we've got to be careful not to depend, not to because it's we can see it and we can hold it and we can touch it, not to depend on those external things. We can do the same thing with the Lord's Supper. We can start to trust in the act of taking the Lord's Supper as if somehow it's a means of grace by which our sins are forgiven because we've eaten the bread and we drink the cup rather than see those things pointing to a greater reality of Jesus' body and blood which was given for us. The Lord's Supper is not the source of our hope, is it? The Lord's Supper, Supper is a sign of the source of our hope. Baptism is not the source of our hope. Baptism is a sign of the source of our hope. Church membership is not our hope. Church membership is a sign of the source of our hope. We've got to be careful not to fall in the same trap as the Jews did and Paul said. There's a fourfold contrast in these last couple of verses about real circumcision versus fake circumcision. External circumcision versus internal circumcision. One is that the essence of true circumcision is outward, I mean is, is inward and invisible, not outward and visible. It doesn't matter what your body looks like, it matters what your heart looks like matters what your heart looks like. Secondly, true circumcision is of the heart and not the flesh. It's of the heart. It's this internal reality that, thirdly, is affected by the spirit and not by the law. True circumcision and real baptism happens by the spirit and not by the law. And what we do up here is to show that. Now, if you think that I'm going to say, well, then baptism is not important at all, Circumcision is not important at all. The Lord's Supper is not important at all. It's not where I'm headed with all of these things. I think they are important so long as we see in them a sign pointing to a greater reality. In that case, they're extremely important. The fourth contrast is that true circumcision, true baptism in our case, wins the approval of God and not men. What do you want? You want the approval of men or the approval of God? 
so many of us live our lives trying to win the approval of men. And so to please mom and dad, we walk the aisle, we pray the prayer, and we get baptized. Why? Because it makes mom and dad happy. Why? Because it's what the preacher begs for at the end of every service. Instead of because it's hard to preach. So two applications today, even though it'll take us a while to work through them. Number one, signs can't save. The signs cannot save. Church membership, baptism, the Lord's Supper, on and on and on. They mean nothing apart from the invisible reality they point to. And what is the invisible reality they point to? It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That we are sinners. We have transgressed God's law. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks and how important that is to understand. And that's all of us, not just some of us. All of us are sinners. And all of us, because of our sin, deserve the wrath of God. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. What we have earned because of our sinfulness is death, and not just physical death. Surely that's part of it, but it's more than that. It's spiritual death and separation from God for all of eternity and wrath of God, active, active wrath of God for all of eternity. It's what we deserve. But the good news is, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the perfect lamb of God, the one who was without sin, without blemish, the one who did not deserve to die, stepped in and said, I love these people. I love this guy and this gal. And I love them. And instead of punishing them, I'll take their sin upon myself and I'll suffer in their place. I'll take the punishment for them. And not only will I take the punishment, I will, I will win. I will win over the punishment that they deserve and I will rise again and I will give to them life. I will give to them reward. I will give to them eternity. I will cleanse them and forgive them and reconcile them to God. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Every year at Vacation Bible School, we share the gospel. Someone, someone says, would your little brother step in and do something like this for you? No. Would your big brother step in and take the punishment that you deserve? No. Jesus did that, though. Stepped in and took what he did not deserve. Stepped in and took what you absolutely deserved. And he died for you. He died for me. And he rose again. And he offers us victory. He offers us this gift. A gift that we don't deserve gift that is free, a gift we call grace, and we receive it through faith. By grace you are saved through faith. It's not by working, not by doing, not by circumcision or baptism are you saved. By grace, through faith, are you saved as a gift. All of these symbols that we participate in point to that great reality, and apart, apart from the invisible reality, they mean nothing. One preacher I heard talking about this says, those symbols, apart from the reality they point to, mean no more than a wedding ring on the finger of an adulterer. What good is it? What good is it if a guy's got a wedding ring on and he's cheating on his wife? What's a wedding ring supposed to do? Well, it's supposed to stand for something, isn't it? It's supposed to stand for this invisible commitment we've made with someone, right? It's supposed to be a reminder to us that I'm married that I'm committed, that this is exclusive. It's supposed to be a declaration to the world that I'm married, that I'm committed, that this is exclusive. So what good is it to have a wedding ring on and cheat? Same is true, same is true for someone who has baptism. 
but no relationship with God. It doesn't mean anything. The adulterer might as well take the, wing, the ring off his finger, right? Because it doesn't mean anything. We want to make sure a baptism means something. Signs can't save. If they could, if the signs could save, a pool party that we have at the end of Vacation Bible School would take on a whole new meaning, would it not? I mean, think about that. We, we had 150 kids in the swimming pool Friday night after Bible school. If signs could save, what should me and Brad and Joe have been doing? Dunking every kid we could find. Man, that would win the approval of men, wouldn't it? We'd be able to fill out on our sheet at the end of the year to send to Nashville. How many of you baptized? We baptized 150. At one event, baptized 150. How many of them believe? Well, we're not real sure, but they got baptized. We're not real sure if any of them believe, but we baptized them all. If signs could save, we would approach things radically differently, would we not? But signs cannot save. The signs cannot save. So the question for us today is, are you trusting in your baptism or are you trusting in Jesus? I'm scared sometimes when I ask people about their relationship with God. Hey, are you, are you a believer in Jesus? Are you saved? Yeah, I've been baptized. I got baptized. That scares me when someone goes straight to that. Straight to, I've been baptized. Well, a lot of people have been baptized. Tons of people have been baptized. Not all of them have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in your baptism or are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting in this church or are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation? I hope you're trusting in Jesus. He's the one who died and rose again, right? Church didn't die for your sins and rise again. Only Jesus did that. One preacher said it this way. This is good. He says, so what if you've been baptized? So what if you're a member of the church? This only counts for anything if there has been a real change in your life, if your heart has been truly affected. Don't you know that you are not a Christian if you are only one externally? Let me read that again. Don't you know that you are not a Christian if you are only one externally? That real Christianity is not about having confidence in external things? No. A Christian is someone who is a Christian inside. What matters is inner baptism, a heart membership of God's people. And this is a supernatural work, not a human one. So what? Thousands of people are members of the church in Harrisburg. So what? You're a member of a church. So what? You've been baptized. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Signs can't save, only Jesus can save. Signs can't save, only Jesus can save, but... Hear me clearly. Secondly, we don't throw the signs out the window. We don't just say signs have no value, that signs are unimportant. No, the signs are good. The signs that we have are good. They're good reminders of two things. Number one, they're good reminders of the gifts, the gifts we have been given. Man, when we celebrate baptism, and we're going to do this in just a couple weeks. We're going to have a, a, a guy up in the baptistry, I hope. I hope we're going to hear more about this today. We're going to have a guy up in the baptistry, and we're going to watch that. And I hope when you watch that, you remember the gifts that you have been given. You remember the grace and forgiveness that you have been shown through the gospel. hope that you'll remember that, that it will be a reminder of the gifts you have been given, that you will respond by thanking God for grace. I hope that's what happens when you come to the table for the Lord's Supper, that you remember what you've been given, that it's a reminder of the gifts and the grace that you have been shown. Gifts, signs, signs. Signs are a good reminder of the gifts we've received. 
And signs are also a good reminder of the obligation, the obligations we have. And you know, we get uncomfortable talking about obligations sometimes as believers, as grace, we've been forgiven by grace. We don't want to talk about obligation. We don't want to talk about works. But the signs are a good reminder of the obligation. You stand in that water and we ask you, why have you come into this water today? And you say, because Jesus saved me and I want to follow him in front of all these people. You're going to stand up there and say that. There are certain obligations that come with that, right? You're going to stand up and say, I belong to him. Watch this. Watch this, everybody. I'm a follower of Jesus now. That comes with some obligation. You're going to do that publicly so all the world can see it. And there needs to be some kind of life that evidences that you're a follower of Jesus when you come out of that water. My wedding ring is a good reminder of some obligations. I don't, I don't want to take it off because it's a good reminder to me that I have some obligations. Obligations to care and protect and provide, to love and nourish and cherish till death do us part. It's good to be reminded of those obligations. And I don't see those things as a heavy burden. I'm like, oh, man, I got to nourish today. busy with that cherishing business no it's good i like to nourish and cherish right and same with the obligations we receive as god's covenant people we're not burdened we're glad we're glad to fulfill those obligations but it's a reminder of the obligation take the lord's supper don't just remember the gifts remember the obligation that comes with being part of his family you proclaim the lord's death until he comes as you take the lord's supper signs are good but they don't save. And if you're here today and you've been depending on your baptism to save you, you've been depending on your quarterly observation of the Lord's Supper to save you, you're not going to heaven. You'll go to hell. You'll go to hell having been baptized and having received the Lord's Supper regularly. You'll go to hell if you're depending on those things to save you. You trust Jesus to save you. You depend on his work to save you. And then you do the signs to remember what he's done for you and to declare what he's done for you. Got it? We cannot get this backwards. We cannot get this backwards. You ruin the gospel if you get this backwards. Let's stand together and pray. God, help us. Help us not to depend on the signs. Even though, even though our flesh tends toward that, we like what we can hold on to, what we can see and what we can feel. We like what is visible and external. Teach us that the visible and the external cannot save us. What is invisible and internal saves us. Grace, faith, trust. very room who absolutely hang their hope on church membership who absolutely hang their hope on baptism I pray that you show them that that's empty apart from the invisible reality it means nothing it is actually no baptism it is actually no membership God I pray that you bring conviction 
and men and women and boys and girls in that area and bring them to faith. Bring them to trust in Christ and hope in Christ alone for their salvation. I pray for folks who are depending on Jesus for their salvation, who are trusting in your grace. Help us to see these signs as good reminders of the gift you have given to us and of the obligations that we received when we became part of your covenant family. God, we don't, we don't want to miss the boat on either side of this issue. We don't want to trust in the signs, and we don't want to neglect the signs. We want to trust in you. We want to trust in you and let the signs remind us of how good you are and how great you are questions about the gospel questions about what, what do you mean i hope in jesus 